welcome to Man Enough. I'm Justin Baldoni. I'm Liz Plank. I'm Jamie Heath. And uh, we are bringing you a very special episode of Man Enough today. A few years ago, I had the great honor of sitting down with my dear friend Ai-Jen Poo uh, from Caring Across Generations and a group of really special men to talk about caregiving. And in honor of National Caregiving Day, mm. we wanted to re-release, bring back that episode that was uh, video only for our podcast audience. Because one of the things we just do not talk about enough is caregiving, especially as it relates to masculinity. Yeah, I mean, this was the first thing that we we worked on together. And, and I felt really um, excited that, that you were involved in this conversation. Mm. When you Google caregiver, when we think about, um, I mean, just portrayals of caregiving, even in the media and television and film, um, it's it's very it's very often women, and obviously the burden of caregiving does fall onto women in so many different ways in our society, and then we devalue it um, for that reason. In fact, forty percent of men, I believe the number is, uh, are caregivers, mm -hmm. but don't won't allow themselves to be called caregivers, as if. <laughs> caregiving uh, is emasculating if that right as if that's like like makes us less of a man mm. when in reality I think that being a caregiver is is probably one of the most human things that we can do I mean some of the data that we came across was yeah very very uh, sort of striking and so mm. it's one more sort of argument right? to bring men on board when it comes to fighting uh, for gender equality, when it comes to fighting against these patriarchal notions that care, mm. caregiving is, uh, you know, feminine mm. or is negative or is not important when, um, yeah, it robs men of the beauty of that, right? Um, yes. We've had so many guests, male guests, talk about how caregiving, right? Like uh, caring for their children, doing things like the laundry, doing things like the dishes, right? These are ways of loving other people it's ways of connecting with other people so we're, we're mm. all robbing ourselves of that when we um yeah when you believe in these patriarchal capitalistic uh, notions that that somehow caregiving is below anyone mm -hmm. i have a father who's a caregiver i have a brother who has down syndrome um so i've experienced firsthand a man take care and like really um i don't even say sacrifice his life but you know enjoy mm -hmm. his life and with the challenges of of taking care of my brother uh, my mother, stepmother, is the one who worked, and my father was the one that was home who literally was doing all of the, uh, quotes, dirty work and the wonderful work. Um, my father's also black. And I'm actually interested in your statistic uh, that you have like 40% of men are caregivers, actually, right? Um, I wonder what that would be in, um, and forgive me for making this about race, I don't mean to, but culturally maybe, white mm -hmm. men yeah. versus others because... Mm -hmm. What I have experienced in the black community is men who are oftentimes more raised by a mother and have a matriarchal system much more than patriarchy than in another um, are used to when their parents get older, their mother gets older, taking care of them. Like you don't see as mm -hmm. much black families put their mothers in a home. So where you see black people taking care of older people mm -hmm. and then actually being caregivers. And there's a sense of pride with that. You know, mm -hmm. you ask your average black man, is your mom, yeah, my mom ain't going to no care. You know, I'm going to take care of her. She's going to be at home. Wow. Um, right. So I wonder um, if maybe there's some data that looks different. I mean, I know that in fo formally, like in, in uh, 
paid caregiving, there's far less white men, far more men of color do it. Yeah. And mm. and there's all these articles actually about what, like, why aren't white men? It's the fastest mm. growing, uh, you know, market. Um, there, there's a lot of jobs in caregiving for in an aging society and society where, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm going on and on. Uh, no, no, but, no. But that's, that's, I'm um, curious to know. So, that. Yeah. But that all to say, I'm really glad that we are featuring this episode, Justin, that you did because caregiving, as we know, is um, is involved in our marriages and our relationships mm. and our children. It's caregiving is is being human, you mm. know, and we should take pride in that. Mm. Well, let's let's get into it uh, again. Huge thank you to our partners, caring across generations. We want to continue to uh, support their work. Uh, so please, after the episode now. Uh, check out Caring Across Generations. Go Google my dear friend Ai-Jen Poo's TED Talk. She's amazing. Uh, it's amazing, the yeah. work that makes all the other work possible. And please enjoy this very special episode of Man Enough. This is Man Enough to Care. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Thank you all so much for being here to talk about a subject that I feel is invisible, especially as it relates to being a man in America, and that is caregiving. Everybody at this table has a, a unique touch point to caregiving, being that you've either been a caregiver or you have received care. I'm interested in learning from all of you because uh, this is a new topic for me because I don't have a personal experience outside of um, seeing some of my family members have caregivers. Thanks, Thanks for, for having for us, having man. It's gonna be yeah, great. Definitely. How you doing, man? You good? I'm good. I mean, we could have conversations and dinner without six cameras. <laughs> <laughs> Zach Anner is a comedian, author, and TV writer living with cerebral palsy. He's been a recipient of care throughout his life, and he's written on ABC's Speechless and also advocates for inclusion across the disability spectrum. So how did, how did, um, your unique situation affect, do you think, your parents and the way that they took care of you? Well, I have uh, cerebral palsy, which is uh, a condition that I got uh, pretty close to birth. The way my mom cared for me, she did a lot of the standard caregiving stuff, helping me get dressed, helping me go to the bathroom, um, all of that sort of stuff that took me much longer to learn how to do those things independently. And my dad was the one who was more of like, let's outfit your chair with this cool thing and let, <laughs> let me saw your braces so that it's more comfortable right. for your feet and yeah. like, that sort of stuff. So they did sort of fill in those stereotypical gender your dad roles was like, in that pimp way. Your ride. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Robert, how, does, how do men and women approach caregiving differently? Because that, that's a really, mm -hmm. that, that's how I would see it as well, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, let me take care of your wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Mom can do everything else. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the research shows that, that men are less comfortable with personal care kind of activities, right? Robert Espinoza is a caregiver and expert on long-term care and care workforce. For over 20 years, he's advocated for cultural and policy changes which support caregivers 
and afford people the care that they really need. They're, they're less comfortable with bathing, with dressing, with the kinds of responsibilities that, you know, we assume women will take care of. Um, it Why? means that I, I think we're socialized that way. I think society tells us that, that there are roles for women and there are roles for men. And so men become family caregivers out of necessity. Emergency hits, crisis hits, an accident happens, and they take on the role. But the challenge is we may not have been socialized in such a way where we learned the skills to be good caregivers. And the person who needs the care suffers from that. I grew up really fast, I can tell you that, because my daughter got diagnosed when I was 25. Devin Still is a former NFL player who became a caregiver overnight after his daughter Leah was diagnosed with cancer at four. Their experience led them to form the Still Strong Foundation that provides assistance to families whose children are battling cancer. Had no idea what the healthcare system was like. I just knew that it was the caretaker's job to make sure that person's safe, that they have access to medicine. It was a lot of learning that I, I did during that process of being a caretaker for her. Ijen Poo is the co-founder and executive director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, a nonprofit which strives to bring dignity and fairness to people employed in the care workforce. The majority of the people employed in the care workforce are immigrants and women of color. She believes that men could have a huge role in destigmatizing caregiving and can give a voice to a new 21st century idea of care. She's been recognized among Fortune's 50 world's greatest leaders and Time's 100 most influential people in the world. Your TED Talk that I love. <laughs> the work that makes all the other work possible, right? Yes. It's interesting. If I were to like zoom out, mm -hmm. I could see that, oh, wow. All of these people that are going out in the world doing these amazing things, there's always an element of caregiving that has to happen. Absolutely. But it's invisible. I mean, I think that what's amazing is just the number of men who are touching this experience and engaged in caregiving who don't even see themselves as caregivers. We've undervalued the role and made it so invisible that the people who are doing it, including men, don't identify with it. Millennials are more involved in raising their children than any other generation of men in history. And not that many are talking about what it means to be a caregiver. And boomers, boomer men, are so involved in elder care for their parents. And 40% of all family caregivers are men. Mm -hmm. Men who are caring for their parents, their grandparents, or loved ones with disabilities, or also spouses caring for their wives or their partners who are ill. And I think traditional notions of masculinity make it hard for men to ask for help, right? Can I ask you a little bit of a personal question though? Sure. Because your wife also has got endometriosis, right? Yes. So I'm curious, like you're both caring for a child mm -hmm. and then oftentimes finding yourself caring for a wife at the same yeah. time, right? Mm -hmm. Nathan Cress is an actor, director, and caregiver for his wife London through her fight against endometriosis, a painful chronic condition the struggles have brought them closer, and today they are parents of two wonderful daughters. And for those who don't know, basically endometriosis is a disease where um, tissue that's supposed to be inside the uterus starts growing outside the uterus and just ruins you inside and is strongly correlated with ovarian cancer. Her grandmother died from ovarian cancer and breast cancer. Um, her mother had endometriosis, now she does. 
there's a, there's a chance that not only would I be taking care of my wife with this disease, but also my child. Um, and that I think has made it a little heavier too. I still feel, um, I wouldn't say a sense of increased masculinity when I'm, when I'm taking care of her, especially since now it's happened so many times. It's just, it is rote at yeah. this point. It is, it is just a fact of life and it is what it is. Was it part of that? Like, oh, I'm, I can do this. Like I can take care of you. Like I can handle your stuff. Yeah. At the beginning, I honestly, I kind of, I kind of like taking care of her when we were just married, you know, before, before the baby happened. Um, but um, being in the trenches with her during that can be very overwhelming, especially when there's a baby involved because it causes horrific pain um, at any time. Um, and it's really hard to see. Mm. Uh, it's harder for her, so feels weird having this happen. No, man. But um, it's really rough and there's no cure. Um, you can have surgery, you can do certain things for it, but there's really nothing to be done. Um, and that was something I actually wasn't really aware of until we got married and I really, because she actually didn't know um, for a long time, she just knew something was wrong. And um, So how are you holding up? Do you have like um, guy friends that you can actually share and talk to about this? Because I'm looking at you as a new brother and it's yeah. right here. Mm -hmm. Which means that it's like, it's, it's, yeah. it's percolating. It's percolating. Mm -hmm. Do you like unload on anybody or, cause you can unload on your wife, right? Um, I guess I don't really have peers in, in that sense. Um, and that is a struggle. All right, uh, you got one now. Yeah. I bet you got a few more that. here too. That means a lot. What about the male caregivers yeah. that maybe are not even thinking about themselves? as caregivers if they're watching this. What do you say to them? What can they do? I think share their story. Courage is this amazing thing. It's contagious. And so if somebody shares their story, sometimes it's hard, I know, because these stories are so intimate and personal, but that's how the culture change happens. You're listening to the Man Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Man Enough Podcast. For me, this is really about learning because I think that there's a lot of men that could benefit mm -hmm. from really having an, a new understanding of what it means to be a caregiver. It's gonna be yeah, great. Definitely. And we have generations and generations and generations of men teaching men that we have to be strong and tough and brave and uh, impervious to pain and to not cry because there's no crying in baseball or football. Right. I'm curious how, specifically for you, Devin, because your daughter got cancer. Like you right. brought your like football player champ mentality to this cancer battle. And right. I believe that that was part of the reason why she kicked its ass. Right. But what about you? Like, did you ever struggle? I think people get the wrong perception when they follow, you know, me on Instagram because they only really see a lot of the good motivating videos. And a lot of people think that I was strong all the time, which I really wasn't. Being a man, a black man, a professional football player, we're taught to be that rock. We're taught to always be strong. Football taught me to have that warrior mentality and not to let people see you weak. But my daughter was diagnosed with stage four cancer. You know, as parents, we all make that promise to our, our child when they're born, whether you say it to them or not, that you're gonna do everything you can to protect them. And I honestly felt like mm. I failed as a father. And I just immediately started blaming myself for not noticing, but 
when your child is battling cancer, there's not much you can do. Right? It's really their fight. The only thing you can do is just be by their side and let them know that they're not in this fight alone. I can't even like imagine what that must have been like for you. Right. Like from chemo to the medicines to how you had to care for her differently. You basically are thrown into a world that you have no idea what's going on, right? I went from being a professional football player to a nurse, right? I was doing everything that the nurses were doing, just learning, you know, taking different classes in the hospital to see how you're supposed to administer medication, how you clean certain areas, um, how do you deal with them mentally, right? Because four years old, my daughter thinks she's a big girl. She's very independent, wanting to do things on her own. So it's knowing when to step in at the right time, especially when, you know, she's at a place where she's, she's really weak from the amount of chemo that she's getting. I can't think of a harder thing to do than all day long to make sure somebody else is taken care of. Are there support groups for caregivers? There are. Because feeling seen and feeling that moment of connection can be a huge breakthrough for people. So huge. Caregiving is something that is so difficult emotionally, uh, spiritually, and can be incredibly isolating. And so the people who do it are so strong. And yet we don't associate it with strength at all. There were times where you know, I was in Cincinnati, my daughter was getting treated in Philadelphia. I would have to FaceTime her, watching her hair fall out, tubes hooked up to her. As soon as we hang up the phone, I would just break down and cry. And recently, while I was writing my book, I told her about those times in Cincinnati. And she looked at me and said, you know what, Dad, I had those same moments where I wanted to break down and cry with you on FaceTime, but I didn't. And when we hung up the phone, I would go into the bathroom in the hospital and just start crying. Mm -hmm. And I realized then that I dropped the ball because I didn't allow myself to be vulnerable in front of her because if I did, we could have just sat there on the phone crying together and really talking about the things that we were going through. Now we just cry all the time. It doesn't even matter what we're talking about. <laughs> I know about. you got me crying right now. <laughs> yeah, so. That's interesting because I think the world sees you as Iron Man, right? Yeah. right? You're fighting for your girl, but like, what would have happened if you would have gone on Instagram and said, like, I need help? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, can you imagine all the men that could have been like, oh my God. I think, you know, caregiving brings out <clears throat> some of your most vulnerable moments, right? I think it brings up grief, it brings up anger. It brings up sadness. And as men, our, our, we haven't figured out necessarily a way to, to unpack that and talk mm. to other people about it. We swallow it. It's a poison of sorts, right? How does that, how does that affect one's emotional state? This yeah. whole idea of like suffering in silence. Well, across the board between men and women, caregivers have really high rates of stress and depression. And because um, and, one of the things that happens when you're caregiving is you prioritize the health and well-being of the person that you're caring for. And I think it's worse for men even because of that isolation and that failure to really reach out to the resources and the services that are available. There's a feeling that a lot of caretakers experience, but they don't talk about it. It may be looked at as self-centered, but when you're 26 years old and you're having to take care of your wife because she's dealing with something, it alters your life. Absolutely, I think so. You know, we live in a day now where everybody compares their life to people's on social media. So you may be seeing one person living this life and we're over here just running on E a lot of the time. Mm. 
So there needs to be like an Instagram for depressing shit. <laughs> you know, like, just like not sexy Instagram. What are you really going through? Right. I think that's a universal thing of like, I can't talk about this because if I talk about this, I will be ostracized. Whatever it is that you're going through, you think is too heavy to share or too dark. There are people out there that your message of the real darkness that you're facing will be their light, right? Mm -hmm. You're listening to the Man Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Man Enough Podcast. Caregiving in America is astronomically mm -hmm. expensive and there isn't a system for like what happens if you're low income or even middle class and you have kids, right? Because the trends are that we are all going to have to take care of somebody at some point in our lives mm -hmm. and be taken care of, but nobody's talking about it. I feel like the whole system needs to be overhauled. Mm -hmm. I know someone who is a complete badass, but needs 24 seven care and can't pay for the hours. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so she has to have her parents come in and fill that role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you sure. thought about what happens when your parents get older? Is that going to be like a complete? I think about that all the time. Like, are you going to have? To, are you going to be in a situation where you might need help, but also need to care for them because you might financially be the person to take care of everybody mm -hmm. in your family? If I'm going to be a caregiver, I had to make a lot of money <laughs> because there's a lot of the physical stuff that I just will have to hire other people to do. Mm -hmm. And it is something that I, that is constantly in the back of my mind of like, well, they did this for me growing up. So like, I, I will definitely have to do it for them. Mm -hmm. And Devin, did you have any understanding of how the medical system worked? And like, did you ever feel completely lost in this? You know, I'm now a caretaker. I got to, you know, my daughter's navigating this crazy thing and you know, she's four. Right. You know, the NFL um, insurance was going to cover me for the, a lot of the expenses. So I was able to give my daughter the best treatment options possible. You know, um, world-class treatment, first-class treatment that may save her life, but there's a lot of families who don't have the financial resources. Nathan, what about you and your wife? Yeah, we've gone through a lot of medical stuff. I mean, she had her surgery for endometriosis. We delivered a baby. And what's insane to me is seeing you know when they send you the hospital bill and they do that giant scare thing where they show you how much it was supposed to cost? And it's like $300,000, yeah. but they're like, we got you this discount and your insurance paid for this. Mm -hmm. But so many people, they get that amount. I know families who are facing these type of bills, like bankruptcy rates for families, for households who have mm -hmm. cancer is 260% higher than you know similar households without cancer. So it's a lot of families who are losing everything in order to try to save their everything. Mm -hmm. It's an unfortunate reality. I mean, we live in a, we're one of the only countries in the world that doesn't offer paid family medical leave um, to people who need it, right? So if somebody crazy. has a newborn child, somebody is sick or needs to take care of somebody who's sick, um, we don't have a system to support them through that process. Um, it's especially hard on low-income people because you, if you take time off to do that, let's say you, you have that right, um, you're not paid for it and you lose valuable income. People shouldn't have to go into poverty to get the kind of support they need to take care of a, of a parent who's sick. Mind blowing. 
it's absurd because people have always worked and always had families. <laughs> but we have somehow never accounted for the fact that people have to do both at the same time and put the infrastructure in place to support that. So why do we not ever think about that stuff? We've always just relied upon the default idea that women would stay home and take care of families, which just hasn't been the case for a very long time and for some communities was never an option. So a lot of caregivers end up overextending because um, they have very little support and very little options. So they're balancing work, they're balancing all the caregiving responsibilities and they're often scrambling. You know, people are trying to keep their life as normal as possible and, and have that, that hustler's mentality where you're keeping that full schedule with your job, but then you're also taking on a full-time job of, you know, taking care of your loved one. And it's hard to balance. I struggled with it, trying to take care of Leah and then trying to handle my business on a football field. I honestly believe that sometimes you have to sacrifice something, right? Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I thought the right thing to do was to sacrifice everything I had for my daughter, sacrifice my career. If this was a question and we were asking women this question, it wouldn't be a question like balancing your career. Did you say, give up your career? That's what, what would be the expectation, right? And I know like this uh, conversation is about male ca caregivers and stuff, but I think as men, we need to point out both sides of that problem to actually address it. One of the reasons why I was excited to do this episode specifically was because when I first heard of caregiving, I was like, okay, let me think of all of the women right. that I know that are caregivers. Right. And then you realize like, wait, did I put that on that? Was that just culture? Did somebody teach me that growing up? Or where did I even... Historically, the, the expectation has been that women will raise the children and care for the parents. And, and that just simply hasn't been the reality for decades. Right now, 70% of all children are growing up in households where all the adults in the household work outside the home. This is an urgent social issue that we've been dealing with on our own as individuals. It's been like this individual burden, but really it requires a collective solution, mm. right? In our day-to-day -day lives, that means building your squad, your care team. But in the future of the country and in public policy, it actually does require collective action and a systemic solution. So that means raising wages, getting access to benefits, getting states to really invest in affordability of care and access to it. It's changing policy at the city level, at the state level, and hopefully at the federal level too. You're listening to the Man Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Man Enough Podcast. As I've been going on this journey to kind of figure out and explore what it means to be a caregiver, I'm curious about the other side of it, which is as a care receiver. Is there something, Zach, that you would want these men to know about the other side of it? The thing that people misunderstand about people with disabilities is regardless of what our physical challenges are, uh, if we are cognitively typical, we want all the same things that other people our age want, mm -hmm. which includes, you know, not having our parents wipe our asses. 
I was looking for a really eloquent way to say <laughs> that, and I didn't find it. Nothing more effective than that, though. <laughs> but as somebody who ha had a disability, I never got the focus of masculine energy of like, you're gonna be a man because I felt as though I needed help my entire life and that I was uh, depending on other people to, to do things for me. I mean, even though I'm very independent now, like I, growing up, I felt like in a lot of ways I was a burden to my family. Oof. And I have, this thing now where the people at my work every day someone sponsors coffee and i'm always the one that jumps in <laughs> and says i'll buy it because i feel like I, there, there's a uh, a thing that you learn of like i'm taking so much from other people what can i do to level the playing mm. field which is faulty thinking but it's hard to get past that mm. i feel like that that, that feeling of guilt is not even like a, a learned behavior, but it's something that you experience at whatever age. Because mm -hmm. even with Leah being diagnosed at four, she's told me she felt like all the problems that arose from her having cancer was all her fault. Because all the sacrifices yeah. that people had to make. Well, I just had this conversation with her maybe like three weeks ago mm -hmm. when I had to sit her down and let her know that this is not her fault. Because when you're dealing with it, there's a lot of arguments that happen, right? Because there's a lot of stresses that get put on the family, um, finances, um, people not being able to communicate, people not being able to empathize how, you know, others handle certain situations differently than you. And a lot of times, to be honest with you, Leah saw these things happen inside the hospital, right? Mm -hmm. And she felt like a, a lot of the grown people arguing, not knowing how to handle this was her fault. So I feel like it mm -hmm. doesn't even matter what age you're at you feel guilty when you feel like, you know, people have to take care of you and it really alters other people's lifestyles. Mm. Mm -hmm. As men, we're taught to solve and to be intellectual and to make sense of things, right? And so when a, when a health situation services that actually requires an emotional approach, not a rational approach, um, we feel like failures, right? The guilt, the, the problem there is, is thinking that problems are solvable intellectually. Frankly, that problems are solvable at all. But if we became better at processing emotionally, thinking more about what we should do to help understand something versus fixing it, um, it would make the problem Gosh. that much more manageable. If I could tell you how many times my wife has told me to just not try to fix everything. Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> all the so, guys are learning something. Yes. <laughs> You're listening to the Man Enough podcast. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Man Enough podcast. What I've found, people that I know that are caregiving, and I know you talk about this a little bit in your TED Talk, is the intimacy between the caregiver and the caregivee. Absolutely. That love and care, that energy that goes into supporting the potential of a child or um, the safety of a person with disabilities or an older person, I think it's just, we really underestimate what this is. And it's about family and love, which is fundamental and universal. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But also the basic things of like keeping somebody connected to a sense of joy. I think in our case, part of the challenge is when she's in pain. It's pretty tough to find the joy in, in 
agony. The tension is kind of peaking, the pain is kind of peaking and everything's just sort of like, because I'm trying to make it better and it's not working. And there's always this kind of period where everything just sort of rises and one of us just makes the dumbest joke or says the stupidest thing and it just breaks the whole thing open. That is where we find that joy in, mm -hmm. in, in those moments. Just being able to share those moments together, finding ways to, you know, make those tough moments, fun moments, I think was pretty cool for us and it helped us build a closer relationship. And I, I saw that, you know, with my daughter, there was a lot of struggles because of the amount of chemo, you know, that was going through her body, she started to use the bathroom a lot on herself. And she was sad about it at first because she thought a big girl shouldn't do that. So we just came up with like a, a cool dance where I called it a pee dance, where she don't even have to announce to everybody that she just <laughs> peed herself. She just sit there and wiggle on her bed and I'll know that she just <laughs> peed the bed so I'll get up and go change her stuff without people knowing. It's at once a joy and a struggle, you know, and it's a blessed life. I have a really, really amazing life. And just because somebody needs 24 hour care or much more care than I do, that doesn't make them any less of an individual with passions and interests and a history. And I would urge you, if you can take a step back from what you're dealing with to remember the person beyond that. Mm. You're listening to the Man Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Man Enough Podcast. How many of us have talked to our parents about how they would like to be cared for mm. when they get older? I know I have not. No, I haven't either. Mm. Four years ago, my mother, uh, her health crashed, her kidneys um, collapsed, she had heart issues, and we were shocked to discover that there was no system that allowed for her to stay at home, right? She needed 24 hours skilled care and, and we couldn't offer that. So she went into a nursing home. And you know, caregiving is very expensive. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether it's taking time off work if a mm -hmm. wife or a husband mm -hmm. or a child is sick or a mother or a father, like there's no space mm -hmm. for people to take care of anybody. Our advances in science and technology have made it possible for people to live longer than we ever imagined. So our average lifespan now is about 20 years longer than what it was in the 1930s. Hmm. And so when we put our safety net in place, we never imagined that people would live as long as they're living right now. So we're about to have this huge older population and a huge need for care that we're not prepared for at all. The annual cost of a private room in a nursing home is more than $90,000 per year on average. So who, who, who can, can afford, afford that? that? Exactly. My first question is who, who in the world is doing it right? There are a whole bunch of countries in Europe and Japan, for example, that have universal long-term care that's connected to their healthcare system. So the way that we assume people have access to elder care through Medicare, that's actually a reality for some countries. This is a big issue, right? End of life and caregiving across mm -hmm. the board. All of us are going to inevitably need to be cared for at some point. And then the medical system in general mm -hmm. is just a crazy thing to navigate. What kind of support systems do we need mm -hmm. in America if God forbid something were to happen? Mm -hmm. Because the trends are that we are all going to have to take care of somebody at some point in our lives and be taken care of, but nobody's talking about it. And it's not just about 
people who are aging. Anybody can, can join the uh, disability community at any point in their lives. You know, True. something in can happen to mm -hmm. anyone. I think we need better supports for people with disabilities across the spectrum and across the lifespan. People should be able to access the long-term care they need. Our big vision, our big idea for the future is this idea called universal family care. The idea that one day we should have one fund that we all contribute to, that we can all benefit from, that helps us pay for childcare, elder care, and paid family leave. Basically everything that you need to take care of your family while you're working. So what are the steps to making something like that happen and what are the roadblocks? Well, culturally, we haven't really had the conversation about care. So this is the first step. This is, this, <laughs> what we're doing right now is actually key. We have to have the conversation so it becomes more normalized as something that we need to think about mm. and plan for. It's interesting to think about the like cyclical nature. Yeah. Right, I think about that a lot. You know, as I'm caring for my little son, I'm realizing that also one day he might have to change my diaper. <laughs> yeah. What else has to happen? I think bringing visibility and attention to the workforce and the family caregivers who are doing this work really hidden behind closed doors in isolation every day. Let's honor them. Let's support them. Let's make their experiences visible. And part of supporting them is these policies that we need to pass that make it possible for people to work and care for their families. And one of the most important things about this issue that I hope people take away is it actually does require collective action and a systemic solution. I do hope we start to reframe and rebrand this idea because, you know, we're gonna need it. And I hope it's not because, you know, we get kind of, we get caught and, we, mm. and there's this just epidemic of just no one to care for all of our parents that kind of puts us in that seat, you know? That's totally up to us. We have time to change it. I feel like I was best because I was a part of an organization that understood what I was going through and, and really allowed me to, you know, put my family first and, and not really focus that much on football. So I feel like in that aspect, it's a lot of getting these corporations to look at their employees as people because it's hard for families to really try to figure out that work-life balance if they're a part of an organization who don't really care about what you're going through yeah. outside of their walls. So. You have to look at the whole picture and start treating people as people. This is the right thing to do as a human being. Let's step up and do it regardless of gender. Like, we don't have to to say, we're taking this for manliness. <laughs> so it's something that I use, you know, to mentally prepare myself, a saying that I use to get my daughter prepared when we would, you know, stop at that door in front of the hospital going for cancer treatments. It's game time. Whatever you're going through in your life, whatever obstacle you're facing, it's time to get off the sideline and get in the game. We can create a 21st century care infrastructure that supports us to have families and work and thrive. This is it, this is our time. This is our moment. All right. Game time. Get in the game. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. being on Man Enough. We got, and we gotta look each other in the eye. That's a rule. When you toast. I'll look you, you in one eye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble, in partnership with Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Malhotra-Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Carrie Rathode from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kahea Kiwaha is our producer. Brandy Cole is head of marketing. Susie Landers O'Connell is our assistant editor. And Josh Schneider is our lead editor. Thanks for listening.